This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Uh, That's the last book of the Old Testament. And uh, we are in a series where we've been going through some of the minor prophets, and uh, we're now in Malachi chapter 2. There's two uh, scripture readings for this morning. One of them is in the Old Testament, which is actually our sermon text from Malachi, and the other one uh, is in Hebrews chapter 4. So Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you Know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Then we turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God bless the reading and preaching of his holy word. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you and the opportunity to continue uh, working through uh, probably a not often read book. Um, Malachi being the end of the Old Testament is probably easily skipped past since it's so small and just three short chapters and it quickly jumped to the New Testament but it's rich with its call for honorable worship to the Lord. It's, it's a 
book that reminds us of the holiness of God, and it, it points us to the need of making sure our hearts are right. And so just before we jump in, let's take a moment to pray, and then we will jump into this, um, this passage, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we are in awe of you, in awe because you are gracious and kind you are long-suffering towards us, merciful. We are sinners who oftentimes are stiff-necked and we despise your way. We turn to go our own way. And yet in your patience and in your kindness, you pursue us. There's no greater testimony of that pursuit than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Lord, that you are willing to give your one and only Son, that Jesus, you would come and take on human flesh and humble yourselves to the place of, of death even on the cross. We're thankful for the cross and all that it means for us, the forgiveness of our sins, the, the purity, the, the blessing of God as Christ takes our curse. We're thankful for the resurrection and the newness of life that we are new creatures because of what Christ has given us. We're thankful, Holy Spirit, who applies this work, this finished work of Jesus to our lives, instructs us and guides us, empowers us to live holy lives. So Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in and through us. And so God, now we come before you with our Bibles on our laps and we Look to you to feed us. Help us to have eyes to see and, and hearts to receive. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of, of who you are and who we are, and that we would not confuse the order, and that as we hear from your text this morning, may our hearts be in tune with you. And God, as we pray each and every week, we pray that we would be changed, that we would be transformed, that we would be made more and more in the image of of Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, protect my words. Help me not to say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, help me to be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said. Church, imagine with me, if you would, a home where children can do whatever they want. No rules. The children could choose their meals they could choose the amount of uh, time on television and video games. They could choose if and when to do school. They could decide their own bedtime. They could decide if and how they wanted to go to church or how they wanted to worship. They could decide everything for themselves. While a child sitting in this sanctuary may think, well, that would be pretty cool. We as adults can all agree that this would actually be very dangerous and harmful for the children. In fact, one may even ask, why would any parent even allow this? What if I told you that the parent just wanted to be liked? The parent just wanted to be the child's friend and be appreciated? What I'm picturing here is not Neverland, a place without parents. What I'm picturing here is the situation of our text this morning. It's a situation in which those who have been called to take care of God's church, God's children, 
were allowing anything to go. And they were creating a very dangerous situation for God's people. That's the picture of the book of Malachi. Malachi, in three short chapters, pictures the sins of people as they're supposed to be worshiping at the temple, a a rebuilt temple, a temple that is supposed to glorify God and bring honor to God, but the people are doing whatever they want. Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets to have his oracles, or also known as his burdens, recorded. It's in this oracle that he is calling the spiritual leaders, those God has entrusted with his people, he's calling them to repentance. Look at verse two, or chapter one, or chapter two, verse one, and it says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. He's calling the religious leaders out. These religious leaders who were called to lead God's people in worship, but they were allowing the people to dishonor their God. They did this by accepting for worship things that God had not prescribed, in fact, even had forbidden. So while they were having a form of worship, It was not truly worshiping God because they were worshiping with what God has not required. Therefore, ultimately, these leaders and the people were showing no love for God because they weren't honoring God. Last week, we said that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I don't think there's a better New Testament passage to grab the essence of what Malachi is saying as Malachi will repeat the word heart many times through these short nine verses. Heart for God, love for God, means obedience towards God. To worship God means to worship God on his terms and not our terms. Malachi in his oracle is calling God's people back to the heart of worship. He's calling them back to obedience. We will see in our text that the central element of this text is the word covenant. It's the idea of an agreement that God has made. And this agreement, this covenant, is rooted in God's love. We will see that God is angry in these nine verses. We will see a God who is jealous A God who is jealous for his covenant of love. Let that sink in for a minute. He's jealous for love. His covenantal, faithful love. Like a spouse who has been cheated on, God is jealous. At the very heart of this oracle, we see a father who loves his children And he's warning them as he calls them back to repentance. That's the background. But let's actually unfold the text. One of the first things you will notice is that the people sin a sin of partiality. Look at verse 9. They show partiality in their instruction. They show partiality. These teachers, these rulers, these, these spiritual advisors of God's people... They show partiality. What's interesting in the text is that it's almost as though the people thought it was okay to give God less than their best. 
The people actually thought that it, it was fine to just give God whatever they wanted. But why? Where did they get this idea from? Where did it come from? The answer, according to our text, from the religious leaders who were failing the people. The religious leaders were failing the people. They were failing the people by their willingness to sacrifice blemished animals, as we saw last week. To present before God things that were not perfect. And they were failing, as in our text, by not teaching the truths of God's word, his covenantal promises, his covenantal expectations. So as we unfold, we see that the real heart is that they had partial desires to ultimately share some but not all or portions of Scripture but not all that God required. There was a sin of partiality, partiality concerning God's law. Church, at the heart of the issue, the priests failed by presenting what the people wanted rather than what God had declared. Think about that this morning. The priest failed by presenting what the people wanted rather than what God declared. Again, they showed partiality to God's law. It's the real root of it. The, the bottom line is that they loved the praise of people more than they loved God himself. How easy every one of us can fall into that. That we love the praise of people more than we love God. Now, why did they show this partiality of the law of the, law of the Lord? Maybe they showed that partiality for job security. Nobody wants to say the hard things. Nobody wants to be difficult. And maybe there was a fear that they would be rejected and be out of a job. So they showed partiality for job security reasons. Probably not. Maybe they showed partiality for the very sake that all of us do, for popularity and acceptance and approval. Whatever the reason, they were dishonoring God because they were not honoring his word. They were choosing to love the people more than they loved God. As we wrestle with that, and as we think about this situation and this environment of the worship of God, the temple, the altar, the sacrifices, we can be aghast to think, who did they think they were? But maybe we should ask ourselves the same question. Who do we think we are presenting what we call worship to God? See, as a result, the people having these bad spiritual teachers really didn't know God. Because of the bad teaching, the partial teaching that they were receiving, they lacked the full truth of who God was. In fact, they were shown that it really doesn't matter what you give God because God doesn't really matter that much anyway. The priest failed at his very basic principles of what his job was about. According to our text, the priest was supposed to honor God's name according to verse 2. And they were supposed to show others the importance of honoring God's name. In verse 7, we're told that they're supposed to guard knowledge. Or how about the end of verse 7, where it talks about a priest as a messenger from the Lord. 
specially called one who has responsibility to be a messenger of the Lord, to not say more nor less than what God would have had them say. See, it's bad enough for a person in the pew to ignore God's word. We get on them about doing their daily devotions and going to Bible study. We can get on each other about the importance of gathering for worship and sitting under the preached word. But friends, how much more severe and wrong is it when a spiritual leader ignores God's word? This sin affects many. According to verse 8, they cause many to stumble. That's why James writes in James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should be teachers. You hear that this morning? Not many of you should be teachers. Why? For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. How about Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, where Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. And yet that's what these spiritual leaders were doing. And their partiality to the law, they were leading God's people astray. Church, let's just roll with this for a moment, but hear me on this. Any spiritual leader that shows partiality to God's law, by neglecting what God says, rather to give people what they want to hear, that spiritual leader brings judgment upon himself and judgment upon the people under his care. Judgment. It's serious business. A millstone. Stricter judgment. Because of the role they played. And yet all the while they played this role for popularity purposes or job security or whatever. What concerns me today is that we see many turning from God's word, hold denominations as they seek to be more culturally relevant and acceptable rather than faithful to God. He forces us to hear the words of Paul as he writes to a young Timothy who's a pastor when he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The question is really, is that us? Do we understand that the pursuit to be more culturally acceptable and to neglect God's word is a very big deal? Steve Lawson says, many talk about the scriptures, but rarely from them. (laughs) What does he mean? They talk about them, they talk all around them, but they never really preach or teach the scriptures. We reference half verses, taking them out of context to say the things we want them to say rather than preaching the whole counsel of God. Rather than showing the holiness and the justice and the truthfulness of God. See, a passage like this this morning forces all of us to step back and ask, are we seeking teachers who preach the word or those who preach and teach our preferences? It's very easy today to find teachers and preachers who who say what you want. We have the internet. 
We have access to more teachers today than we've ever had. But at the very heart of it, are we seeking those who are telling us the truth or just those who tell us what we want to hear? As we unpack this text, we see that really at the heart of it is God's covenant of love. I want you to see that that the very essence of it isn't God just scolding, but God warning in love, calling his people back to repentance. I want you to notice the language he uses, a a language that's used in Scripture repeatedly. It's an if-then relationship. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. Now, if-then, right? If-then. If you will not listen. If you will not take it to heart and give honor to my name. If. It's conditional. The idea of of the fact of the blessing of God here is pictured in a conditional way. If you will not listen, and I don't just mean hear me, but really obey me, if you won't really take it to heart, notice the connection again with the heart. God doesn't just want our lips. He wants all of us. The key is the heart. The key is not just going through the motions. It's about truly loving God. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, Then according to verse 2, then I will send curse upon you. I will curse your blessing. What an interesting phrase, I will curse your blessing. Do you understand that the priest was supposed to be the means of blessing the people? He performed the sacrifices. He announced God's blessing upon God's people. James Dolezal says it very well when he says the ironic thing is, that the priests were supposed to be the mediators of the blessing upon the people of God, but now, rather than a blessing, they're a curse. If, then, I will send curse. He goes on in verse 3 to say, I will rebuke your offspring. And these scholars wrestle with the term offspring because it actually is the word seed. And some wonder, does he mean the crops or does he mean the children? I think he means both. He's capturing both in that one simple word. I will judge your people, and I'll judge them by droughts and other signs of judgment as they've already experienced because you're not repenting. You're not honoring my name. You're not listening. Your heart is not for me. Then he says something very disgusting in verse 3. He says, I will spread dung on your faces. I bet you didn't come to church this morning expecting you were going to hear that. But as you hear that word, dung, I want you to understand what he's really saying. See, because before they sacrificed the animal, they would take the innards of an animal out and they would separate them from the sacrifice. They were taken outside the city and they were burned because they were deemed unclean. That part of the animal was not clean. And notice what he's saying. I'm going to spread this dung on your face. You who are supposed to be holy but are unholy, I'm going to show you what you really are. You deserve to be outside the camp. You who have been set apart to honor me in the sacrifices are really not holy but unholy. And so you should be burned outside the camp. Brings to mind Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, where God told his people, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, 
or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes that I've commanded you today, then all the curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Friends, these passages are difficult because God says, I am holy and I will be reverenced. You want my blessing, you will honor me. Blessing and cursing is a repeated theme in the Bible. And usually in the Bible, it's connected to an if-then. If you do this, then blessing. If you don't do this, then cursing. The blessing and cursing is almost seems optional. It's pointing to this idea that if we repent, then we will receive blessing. But if we will un- be unrepentant, we will receive cursing. It's a challenge for all of us, because which of us are we? Are we blessing or are we a cursing? Are we repenting or are we unrepentant? Do we recognize our sin? Do we see our hostility to a holy God? Do we see how we prefer the culture rather than the worship of the living and true God? Our text this morning, he talks about in verse 4, this covenantal blessing of Levi. This covenantal blessing in Levi. Look at it. Verse 4, he says, So shall you know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand. What is this covenant of Levi? Many scholars wrestle with this, and they, and they try to work it out, and, and they try to help it to be fully understood. Well, there's two main stories in Scripture that point to what God may be talking about here in the covenant of Levi. Levi is really bigger than just the tribe of Levi. It incorporates all the priests, even those from Aaron's line. And so we're given two stories where we see those who are doing holy and righteous things and receive the blessing and the covenant because of their pursuit of holiness. The first is found back in Exodus chapter 32. It's the story where Moses is coming down from the mountain and he hears the noise and then he sees the golden calf. It's the story where Moses throws the temple, the, tab, or the tablets down and they break. And then after the tablets break, he then burns the golden calf in a fire. He grinds it to a powder and then he scatters it into the water and then he makes them drink that bitter water. But he's still not done. Because they have offended a holy and perfect God, Moses asks this question. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. In, that verse, in verse 26 of chapter 32 of Exodus, we're told that all the sons of Levi gathered around Moses. And then hear what Moses told them. Moses said, put the sword on your side and go from gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion, his neighbor and his sons. The sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. For many of us, this is a hard passage to reckon with. How can a loving and gracious God command such a wicked act? But the real question is, do we understand that sin brings death? Do we truly understand that, that to violate God's word means death? God honored that tribe of Levi. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 8 through 9, we're told at that time, the Lord set apart the, the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. 
Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance. And the Lord your God said to him, the Lord is your inheritance. This is an amazing text when you think about what they did. They said, we're on the Lord's side. And they were willing to stand against sin, even when it meant unpopularity, even when it meant standing against the populace. And the Lord blessed them. But they weren't unique. In the book of Numbers, chapter 24 and 25, we see a man by the name of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet, and he was attempting to make some financial gain for himself, so he went about to try to do the wishes of a man by the name of Balak who wanted the people of God cursed. But every time Balaam would seek to curse the people, rather than cursing them, they would be blessed. Finally, finally Balaam realized, Balak, there's no way I'm going to be able to curse them. The only way to really bring cursing upon the people of God hear this, is to get them to fall into idolatry. And so he used pagan women and the pagan women mixed with the Israelites and the Israelites began to worship Baal. But there's a story of one man in the name of Phineas, the son, the grandson of Aaron, who saw a public act of an Israelite man and a Midianite woman and he grabbed his spear and he thrust it through them. And the text tells us he did this to stop the sin, to stop the plague. Friends, both of these acts show the passion for truth and purity that these priests had, the Levites and the sons of Aaron. God says, you shall know that I have set this commandment before you that my covenant with Levi might stand. God is desiring in his love that this, co- this covenant with Levi might stand. He goes on to say in verse 5, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Notice the fear and awe of the Lord. But he goes on in verse 6 to say, true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. He walked with the Lord in intimacy. But not so in Malachi's day. See, the priests who were so faithful in all these other stories who fought against sin, who stood for holiness, in Malachi's day, they failed. And what was the charge against them? Look at verse 8. You've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. You failed. Verse 9, the consequence of this is So I make you despised and abased before all the people. Hence the idea of rubbing dung upon their faces and casting them outside the camp. One of the most important things to see here is that their efforts of partiality to the word of God didn't help them. Their partiality to the law didn't help them succeed. Actually, it worked against them. Rather than them being honored and received, they were actually despised by the people. They were viewed as dung, filthiness, to be thrown outside the camp. Church, is an important lesson here. Sin always takes us farther than we want to go. 
Sin always costs us more than we want to spend. Sin always takes us farther than we want to go. And it always costs us more than we wanted to spend. See, the call for the people here was holiness. But they turned from holiness to unholiness. In an effort to be pleased, to please themselves. What about you this morning? Are you willing to stand in the gap to be faithful, to pursue holiness? See, that's one of my concerns for our church is in a day and age where unholiness is all around us and it creeps into every crevice, are we willing to be a people of holiness even in the face of unholiness? Are we willing to be faithful to God and when the world is pushing in for us to be just like them? That's the call of this text. But the problem in this text is we're just like these priests. We fail in our homes, we fail in our lives, we fail at our workplaces, we fail in our churches. We all fail. Because we're broken, sinful people, born in Adam. We fail. See, the priests in this text did the very opposite of what they were supposed to be doing. Rather than leading the people to obedience, they're leading them to disobedience. And if we really look at our lives, so are we. But one of the most amazing things about this text is that God's love is not extinguished. It's present. It's seen in him calling them to repentance. It's seen in him long-suffering, merciful, walking with them, telling them what will happen if they continue down this road as he calls them to repentance. The truth is, no priest was going to ever be able to fulfill it in the sense of these human terms. But God's love he provided one who could. And that one is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the complete fulfillment of all where these priests failed. And Jesus, according to verses 5 through 6, fulfills all of these traits. He brings life and peace. He obeys even to the point of death on the cross. He spoke truth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. Jesus fulfills what everyone else fails to do. That's why the writer of Hebrews makes it so clear in Hebrews chapter 7 when he says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people, since he did not once for all of for he did since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appointed men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of an oath which came later than the law appointed a son who has been made perfect forever. Church, in our text, we see a priest and a people that are neglecting God in pursuit of their own pleasures and passions. They're living any way they want. And ultimately, it's costing them. But in our text, we also see a loving God who pursues them. 
And we see that pursued in the person and work of Jesus Christ who came to die. He died on the cross to take our curse so that we could get his blessing. Don't miss that this morning. Jesus went to the cross to take our curse so we could get his blessing. And loving Christ means that we are pointing others to him, that we are worshiping him, that he is chief and supreme in our lives. Paul writes to a young Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you save both yourself and your hearers. Church, we've all been given people who are responsible that we're responsible for. People that we have a responsibility to lead and to care for. We need to be very careful, as Paul tells Timothy, to keep a close watch on ourselves. To be careful of our teaching and things that we're teaching our children and our friends and our community of faith and even our neighbors outside the community of faith. We need to be persistent in in keeping this watch for by doing so, we save ourselves and our hearers. But the question for us is this, is are we truly looking to Jesus as our peace? Do we understand that Jesus is the one who takes the curse for us? Do we understand that in his pursuit of salvation, judgment had to be rendered and Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for our sin and therefore where his blood was spilled, we should hate that sin. Do we understand by his death, we receive his blessing? And to receive that blessing means that we must be trusting in God's provision. Church, are you trusting in Christ? Hear me this morning as we see in our text, God is jealous. God is jealous for his covenant of love. We see in this a father who out of love warns his people calling his children to repentance. But we also see in this text our sin. The fact that we at times show no love for our God That while we go through the form of worship, it's absent of love. That with our lips we honor him, but our hearts are far from him. And therefore we all must repent. The call is simple. That we would be a people who have a heart for God. But it starts with understanding the seriousness of our sin. Church, do you understand that we love because he first loved us. Church, do you understand that in your pursuit of love means that you meet him on his terms, and his terms is through the person and work of Jesus Christ, where our curse is paid for, and his blessing is provided. Let's pray. Father, as we walk slowly, monotonously, through a text of nine verses and see the seriousness of the words that are compiled there. The partiality we have with your law where we, as Bible-believing Christians, so easily go through and pick and choose the things that we like and dislike. Where that partiality, we call out some sins but not others. God, help us to see our need of repentance as your people. Help us to recognize our call to holiness 
Help us to see the love that you have for us in your pursuit of us through the person and work of Jesus. Help us to truly surrender to Christ, recognizing that it is only through him that we have blessing. May we recognize that Jesus on that cross takes our curses and therefore, Lord, help us to hate the sin that held him there. Help us to be a people who use our lips for true praise, filled with a heart of love rather than empty praise. Help us to be a people on mission to tell the world of their need of Christ. Help us, Lord, to be a holy people set apart for your work and your name. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.